The following is brought to you by Dustin Campbell, Daily Tech News Show, Andy Beach, Nick Wood, Will Harris, and Craig. Welcome, everybody, to the Politics, Politics, Politics program for April 7th, 2021. This is your old pal, Justin Robert Young, joining you from my new house, my new studio. Let me say my new studio, because where you are hearing me right now is going to be, the uh, when it's finished, a, a really, really rad uh, recording booth. And so right now it, it, it looks a lot like a very small walk-in closet with uh, a bunch of bedding on the walls. But eventually, eventually, dear friends, this will be a world-class recording studio. And you, dear listeners to the Politics, Politics, Politics program, will be the primary beneficiary. We got a lot to go over here. Today, I got a question for some folks in the media. Are you trying to make Ron DeSantis president? Is that like an active goal? Because what's happening right now is identical to if you were actively trying to make Ron DeSantis the next president of the United States. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the fact that uh, Chuck Schumer and the Democrats may very well have another path to no Republican voting necessary on a massive multi-trillion dollar infrastructure package and more. This at the hands of our new favorite sub-character in Washington, the Senate Parliamentarian. More on all that. Our money man, Dave Leventhal, joins us. He's got a story to tell about Tulsi Gabbard's campaign being thieved. (laughs) When can you say that? Tulsi Gabbard's campaign was thieved. All that and more. Uh, uh, We have one bit of news to get out of the way before we kick things off. And that is that Joe Biden has officially announced that he is moving up his May 1st deadline for all states to be offering the coronavirus vaccine to anybody who would like it above the age of 16, I believe. That deadline is now moved up to April 19th. And I actually think this is this is good policy, mostly because. It was only Oregon and Hawaii that haven't already said that things would be open to everybody by April 19th. And I think that this is a a good sign for the Biden White House to actually move up the date in recognition of what the facts on the ground are, which did not happen with that 100 million COVID shot thing where we were like on pace for 100 million COVID shots before Biden really did anything that, that would have impacted it. So I'm glad that they did it. And I'm I'm as somebody who's vaccinated, got that J and J one shot, I would encourage folks, if if you are in the cohort that that uh uh would like to get it, man, go get it. COVID shots equal body shots. Let's get to the bar as fast as possible. But first. 
All right, so, so I have a question. Are some of y'all actively trying to make Ron DeSantis the next president of the United States? I'm asking you seriously. I, I really, really am. Because it seems like you are. It seems like you are. The way people are coming for Ron DeSantis, it just, on, on weak stuff, it just seems like you are just trying to give him wins so when he runs, he can be the anti-media crusader that Trump was. Except he'll actually have a resume. A resume that fills in for Trump's biggest weakness. Let me back up. Florida, by reputation, is, you know, Florida. It's a patchwork of all the stereotypes that we're still allowed to make fun of in 2021. Rednecks, rich people, and drug addicts. It's the national leader in scams. Hulk Hogan lives there. It's warmer than where you live, and from the outside looking in, it's a sweat-drenched hedonism. There's no way that this state could handle COVID well, right? Growing up in the Sunshine State and having a connection to state politics via my friends and family that still live there, I can say up until Ron DeSantis, the governor's office was, you know, a bit dry. Sometimes they were a little bit more corrupt to the sugar lobby. Sometimes they were boring. Sometimes they were Jeb Bush. The most you'd talk about the governor was when a hurricane would come through and they'd be on TV telling you to not get killed by the hurricane, which Floridians sometimes need to be reminded of, specifically the rich redneck drug addicts. But then there's Ron DeSantis. At first... I had just kind of marked him as another MAGA toady who happened to ride the wave into office in Tallahassee. He barely beat out a pre-honey hammock Andrew Gillum to win the 2018 race, but aside from frequent appearances on Fox News, I, I'd figure he'd just be another Florida bureaucrat taking his turn at the wheel. And then COVID hit. DeSantis put the onus on businesses being open. This was in defiance of talking points from health experts. In an election year, it made him a warrior for people who didn't trust those health officials, and he was savaged for it. And yet, puzzlingly, and anyone who tells you that they know exactly why this is the case, I, I think is probably lying to you, this does deserve further rigorous study. Florida's death rate is still below the national average and about on par with California, which locked down far harsher. The difference between those two states is that Florida has the same death rate with an employment and unemployment rate of 4.7%, while California's is at 8.5%. And... While Andrew Cuomo and Gavin Newsom battle for their gubernatorial political lives, it's Ron DeSantis who faces a string of press testing the notion that Florida has done well at all. The first wave of questions were on if Florida had been actively covering up its real death numbers. And that seems to have faded for now, but in deference of a new narrative that Florida is bungling its vaccine distribution. The latest chapter was a piece by 60 Minutes this Sunday. And it's sloppy journalism. Well, it's television journalism, which is a synonym for sloppy journalism. The crux of the piece is that poor seniors in poor black neighborhoods like the Glades in Palm Beach County aren't getting the vaccine as fast as rich seniors in the wealthy neighborhoods of Palm Beach proper. The most galling decision was that DeSantis gave the grocery chain Publix the right to distribute the vaccine exclusively. The closest Publix to the residents of the Glades two bus rides totaling two hours round trip. And what's worse, Ron DeSantis got $100,000 in campaign donations from Publix. 
Bum, bum, bum. Let's pause. First, as I've said before, if you run the simulation where you distribute the life-saving vaccine a billion times, one billion simulations, you will have people upset. This is just simply not a process where you're going to be able to please everybody. Getting somebody on camera that has a right complaint about when they got the shot and whether or not somebody ahead of them should have gotten the shot when they got the shot will never be hard. Second, pay-to-play stories are easy to hint at and very hard to prove. And this one has some serious holes to it. First, $100,000 isn't exactly a massive windfall in a state like Florida with as many media markets as it has. Also, it's reported fact that Publix's preferred candidate for governor in 2018 was DeSantis's opponent in the GOP primary. They donated heavily to this guy, Charlie Putnam, because he's from the same county that Publix originated and is still headquartered. He got crushed by DeSantis after DeSantis got the Trump endorsement. Now, here's where things really got sticky. 60 Minutes didn't secure an on-camera interview with DeSantis, but they did edit together a testy interaction at a press conference. ...to your campaign, and then you rewarded them with the exclusive rights to distribute the vaccination in So, first of all, that, what you're saying is wrong. How, how is that not pay-to-play? That, that's a fake narrative. The criticism is that it's pay-to-play, it's Governor. wrong. It's wrong. It's a fake narrative. I just disabused you of the narrative. And you don't care about the facts because obviously I laid it out for you in a way that is irrefutable. Well, I, I and so it's clearly not. Isn't there the nearest no, public? No, 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 you're wrong, you're wrong, away. you're wrong. Yes, That's sir. That's actually a fact. What this edited out is an important contextual moment where DeSantis corrects the reporter's initial question. Indeed, Publix is not the exclusive Floridian distributor of vaccines. CVS and Walgreens got them earlier than Publix did in December. They were charged with inoculating long-term care facilities. Publix was simply the first to be able to push them out in their retail stores as Walgreens and CVS finished with their initial mission. The Democratic mayor of Palm Beach County has gone on the record saying that the 60 Minutes piece is intentionally misleading. I'm not here to beat up on 60 Minutes. They're television news. If you take them seriously, brother, you got larger problems. But again, my question to the media critics of DeSantis, are you trying to make him president? After what happened with Trump, if indeed you believe that this was an existential threat to not just journalism, but truth, are you really going to do the exact same thing you did for him to DeSantis? Because guess what? DeSantis is somebody that has a better resume than Trump. You've made him thus far the Trump who handled COVID well. And if Trump had handled COVID well, well, he'd still be president. With every story attempting to poke holes in the Florida narrative, you not only reinforce it, you also hand another layer of street credibility to DeSantis, who raised his profile and money off the haters and the losers in the fake news media. Based on the available numbers that I can find that are verifiable, DeSantis didn't do a bad job in Florida. In fact, if you combine that with the unemployment rate, he might have done a good job. Now, if we get different information... Maybe that'll change. But eating at the margins and chasing down some of these stories and making more of them than they really are is only going to make him stronger. 
And that's going to be a problem if you don't want him to be a massive contender in 2024. Lizzie is at it again. Elizabeth McDonough. Y'all ain't never heard this woman's name before in your life. And now, here you are, hanging on every little syllable that spills out of the brain of Elizabeth McDonough, the Senate parliamentarian. Because the Democrats have the thinnest possible majority in the Senate, that is a 50-50 split, but they have the White House, so Kamala Harris is the tiebreaker, that means that they can pass bills through reconciliation. That is a simple majority where you can tack a bill onto the budget. But the question was, could they do it more than once in each fiscal year? Well, Elizabeth McDonough has ruled that indeed... They can. This is what Chuck Schumer said about it on Monday. The parliamentarian has advised that a revised budget resolution may contain budget reconciliation instructions. This confirms that the leader's interpretation of the Budget Act and allows Democrats additional tools to improve the lives of Americans if Republican obstruction continues. While no decisions have been made on a legislative path forward using Section 304 and some parameters still need to be worked out, the parliamentarian's opinion is an important step forward that this key pathway is available to Democrats if needed. Spoiler alert, it's gonna be needed. Now that's Chuck Schumer. That's what Chuck Schumer said. And when news of this first broke, the question was, well, we haven't exactly heard from McDonough herself. And some of the Republicans were saying, well, Chuck might be a little forward on this, but... This according to CBS News. Parliamentarian Elizabeth McDonough ruled that Section 304 of the Congressional Budget Act of 1974 can allow for multiple reconciliation bills per fiscal year. Here's what this means in plain English. The Democrats didn't need a single Republican vote to pass the $1.9 trillion COVID bill. We're going to have another multi-trillion dollar infrastructure bill that may or may not come in two phases. All of that, every penny of that might be passed without a single Republican vote. Six trillion dollars worth of spending at the high end could happen without a single Republican vote. And if we want to go and look back and, and start pointing fingers on exactly how that happened, well, let's, let's go back and remember the fact that Purdue beat Ossoff but not enough by the runoff margin in Georgia. Let's remember that Donald Trump's inability to put his own presidential fate behind him for the betterment of the party resulted in a fractured electorate that allowed both Democrats to go to Washington. But that doesn't mean that these are smooth sailing weather patterns for Chuck Schumer. No. Nautical terms aside, he has a lot to navigate, including... If this is reconciliation, that means that Elizabeth McDonough gets to decide what is germane to the budget and what isn't. A reminder that a $15 minimum wage was in that COVID bill. It was stripped out by Elizabeth McDonough. And if we are looking at an infrastructure bill that may or may not include things involving the environment or human infrastructure, quote unquote, well... Some of the elements of that push may or may not be within a budgetary purview. But also, we see a return for the most powerful couple in Washington. 
the gruesome doosome of Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema, moderates in the Democratic Party that have been steadfast that their opinion will be heard if the Democrats are going to get all 50 of their team in a line. Joe Manchin has already come out and said that he is not going to vote for the bill as it has initially been proposed. This is the infrastructure bill, the new one. Kirsten Cinema said she's not going to play the weather vane game, but you can count on her to follow her principles. This really gets out of hand for Joe Biden if the progressives realize that ho, 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 they have a machine gun too. And now this becomes a push and pull on Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema saying that this is going too far. And the progressives saying this is not going far enough. If they can all agree that if they agree, they get whatever they want through, getting that consensus can become its own minefield. I told you guys before I even left Oakland. I told you guys. I tried to tell you guys. I tried to say that we were pre-recording episodes last week, and that meant that any news that broke during the week while I was driving across the country, I wasn't going to be able to cover if those episodes were going to come out on time. The only place you were going to be able to hear the news break and my reactions to it was on the Patreon. TakePoliticsSeriously.com That was the only place that I was going to be doing live episodes from the road because they're shorter. I was able to do them. Uh, One of them was in a hotel in El Paso. And that is where I got to talk about this Matt Gates thing. Good God! Good God! This Matt Gates thing, and it only continues to get bizarre, He may or may not have had sex with a 17-year-old that he flew from out of state in an orgy in Maitland, Florida because his friend is a tax collector who got fake IDs that may or may not have been given to these underage prostitutes. And yet, and yet, there is also written proof and text message proof that part of this was an extortion attempt. Because a lawyer who used to be with the Department of Justice wanted to get his friend out of an Iranian jail? What the butt? Now, when this develops further, we will talk about it more here on this main show now that I am uh, here in, in Austin. But that was the opportunity when it was happening, and it happened for the $3 club. The folks that head on over to TakePoliticsSeriously.com and uh, support this show. You guys are the reason this happens. Thank you, thank you, thank you. That's the $3 tier at TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Our guest today is no stranger to the show, and he's got quite a story to tell about thieves, thieves stealing from a presidential campaign from Insider's D.C. Bureau. It's the money man, Dave Leventhal. Welcome to the show, Dave. Mr. Young, a pleasure to be with you. Now, we always bring you on for the money stories, and every once in a while, they get a little spicy. And uh, you have been, uh, uh, (laughs) I want to get to this Tulsi Gabbard story. And then I actually want to talk to you a little bit because I don't think we talked to you on on the show about your MyPillow story, which was also fascinating. But uh, let's let's start with this Tulsi Gabbard one, because I kind of feel like stories like this are going to only pop up more and more as the money in politics gets bigger and the the desire of politicians to run continues to run rampant through our society. 
Well, it's, it's like the old adage about the bank robber who was asked, well, you know, why do you rob banks? And he said, well, that's where the money is. And what we're finding with politics is as more and more money flows into the political process and the electoral process and politicians who maybe, I don't know, 20 or 30 years ago would be raising for a congressional race 100,000 bucks or 500,000 bucks. They're not raising five million or ten million, and at the presidential level, it's just incredible. We're measuring it now, not in the eight figures or the nine figures, but the ten figures. These are billion-dollar races plus, and so you've got opportunity here, especially with candidates who may not have all the best security or the best practices in place for criminals to do what they do, which is steal and grift and and take from the places where the money is at. And the bottom line, uh, which we reported recently, was that thieves stole at least, and, and this is just what we know, at least $2.7 million from federal committees, federal political committees, just in this last election cycle. That's not counting what might have been taken from governors or from state or local level candidates, but that's a real chunk of change. And I got to only expect, Justin, that this number, like you said, is is going to go up and not down. All right. So so how did they get to Tulsi's money? <laughs> that's a good question that we're uh, still trying to figure out. But here's what we know is that uh, based on a kind of obscure, arcane filing that we came across uh, with the Federal Election Commission, that uh, the Tulsi Gabbard campaign, which is now a political action committee, since Tulsi Gabbard, who was running for president, is no longer running for president. She's turned her committee into something else. And uh, in this weird filing, uh, they basically told the Federal Election Commission that $8,000-plus went missing from their new political action committee account and that the money was used for Airbnb rentals and that they did an internal investigation and they found that nobody internally had used that money. Tulsi Gabbard wasn't using that money to book Airbnb rentals. Nobody on staff was and that they just couldn't account for it. And Airbnb, after negotiating with them, uh, reversed the charges and gave them the money back but uh, effectively what the FEC was told by the Tulsi folks was uh, that uh, this was a, a criminal matter. They indicated that <laughs> they weren't going to pursue it criminally because they got their money back. But that's where they left it. Tulsi wouldn't comment to me. Airbnb, I was in contact with them. They ultimately did not give me the answers to the questions I had. But this just seemed to be the latest in a whole string of weird situations like this where in some cases, very prominent political committees have had money taken. In some cases, it's a few hundred dollars. In other cases, it's gone into the tens of thousands, and in one uh, just unbelievable case, into the millions of dollars. Sometimes they get their money back. Other times they do. The reason why I, I find this so fascinating is because this is just a picture-perfect place for a, 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 a crime, like for, for, for theft, because... The, the the people that make up a campaign are are you know volunteers and and people that are are just started working together you know sometimes hours and days prior uh, of the, there's the, it's not exactly well renowned for being fiscally conservative campaigns are it tends to be you know a spend as fast as you get it so the the fact that nobody there, there's a lot of right hands that don't know what a lot of left hands are doing feels like this is just going to be something that we only see more and more without question and and we found it just in the examples that we've been able to identify and report on and and they number in the dozens for this last election cycle alone is that there have been a variety of methods to get at this money. There are uh, hacking situations. There is credit card fraud, cyber thieves at play, bank card fraud, and in some cases, just petty theft, uh, where somebody might be a volunteer or working for the campaign and is stealing money or skimming money off the top. So whole different uh, number of ways to, to get at the money. And sometimes you find campaigns that, that have very strict rules and internal you know, rules for this. So to defend against 
some sort of internal theft and have pretty good security, or at least the best set is available to defend against external threats, people who might be trying to skim credit card numbers or otherwise just hack into to accounts for um, for any of these uh, campaigns or, or political committees. And uh, we get into some other kind of really exotic ones uh, in our story where definitely there have been thieves that have gone to rather significant lengths in order to get at the money that they know full and well is available. This is public information that gets yeah. reported on a periodic basis. They they know no, but ca- campaigns brag money. about it, right? And, like this is this is exactly. we, we 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 normally have you on so we could talk about well who raised what and 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 where did they get it from. So this is this is the kind of knowledge that even now we're we're, we're seeing the beginnings of these big highly funded Senate races in Ohio and Pennsylvania and stuff like that. And, and these initial returns are already in, in, in the million plus range and, and we're, we're a year plus out. And I'll give you, you know, two examples that most everyone will know about uh, or know the names of the people who got hit. Joe Biden's presidential campaign twice during the election got hit by thieves uh, for a total of a little North of $70,000. Now, they raised about a billion dollars. So yeah, that's a, that, that's kind of a de minimis amount around oh, here. Yeah, but exactly. Nevertheless, you kind of can't feel really good about the now president of the United States having money stolen from his presidential campaign. Not not exactly what you would probably like to see, especially if you're a donor and you're probably wiping your brow saying, "Ooh, you know, I'm glad seventy thousand was." Just seventy thousand, and it wasn't seven hundred thousand or seven million dollars, which leads to the Wisconsin Republican Party that had almost three million dollars stolen from it during the last election cycle too, and they've been trying to get their money back, and they haven't really gotten most of it back at this point so far, and that's a whole criminal matter, very tawdry situation. So it's Republicans and Democrats. It's big committees. It's little committees. It is unions that have had their packs stolen. The Teamsters got hit. Corporate political action committees, Google got hit. And a whole lot of trade associations and ideological groups and other candidate committees as well. So nobody is immune from this type of shenanigans, Justin. Do we have any sense of the methods here on... You know, is it a phishing scam? I would presume that most of this is that, uh, uh, that somebody gets loose with an email login and next thing you know, there's a company credit card that's being run. Yeah, and uh, we, we did find that that absolutely was one of the, the methods uh, in which uh, that was was being done. Sometimes uh, fake account numbers. Uh, so somebody would uh, send an invoice and it would uh, basically be an invoice to a thief and uh, the invoice would get paid and then the money would be gone out of the campaign's account. And by the time that they realized that they actually hadn't paid the real invoice, uh, then it was too late. So yeah, there are lots of different techniques. Uh, I've mentioned a couple here. I got to believe that there are, you know, half a dozen, a dozen or or more out there that people uh, are either using or are thinking up of using to try to scam political committees. But uh, yeah, the the level of innovation has definitely become much, much more sophisticated over the past few years. And you've got to think, too, that the level of sophistication will continue to go up as the amount of money being raised and spent in politics is also going up uh, commensurately. Yeah. Yeah. It, it just, just crazy. I mean, I, I, again, it, it, it seems like this is going to be a, only a bigger problem going forward. Uh, uh, all right. I want to, I want to, uh, 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 turn the page here and talk to you about a story that I, I would encourage everybody to go sign up for, uh, uh, insider pro and, and just, just Google Dave Leventhal and, Mike Lindell of my pillow because you had just a great textbook example of when I try to describe to people what it's like to be on the phone with like a really wild source. Like you got just an exceptional tour de force that is recorded in a full half hour glory of your interaction with my pillow CEO Mike Lindell. Can you please set up how all this came came about? 
Well, it, it had nothing to do with Mike Lindell, at least to start. I was working on a story and, and doing some initial reporting for what I thought was going to be a story about political committees that sell their supporters personal information to brokers or data brokers or to other firms that, that trade in this information or to other political committees. So the whole notion here is that if you are supporting a political candidate or a committee, your personal information can become a commodity, something to be sold and resold and bought and rented and the whole nine yards. So in the course of doing so, I talked to a couple of Republican sources who have been sources of mine for, for years and who, who know a lot about this stuff. And I asked them, hey, you know, what what are you hearing? Or is anyone doing anything weird? And just kind of in passing, we got talking about Mike Lindell and my pillow. And this was still, you know, very much in the, the beginning stages of Mike Lindell maybe or maybe not getting sued by some of the voting machine companies that have now become a big thing. So one guy just said to me, hey, uh, you, you should check out his MyPillow website. There's some kind of weird, interesting, maybe interesting information there about what the MyPillow website is doing with its customer information or not doing. So bottom line, went and checked it out. And at best, the language was really strange and murky, and you couldn't quite tell if MyPillow was selling its customers' information to maybe, I don't know, Donald Trump's campaign or yeah. some Republican political committee. And then at worst, it, it was, yeah, they were straight up doing it. So I did what I've done hundreds and hundreds of times. I called the company up and I sent Like a good reporter, like a good reporter. Let me point this <laughs> out to everybody. Everybody, whenever I... Whenever I, I, I get on my high horse about defending journalism and, and reporters, this is, this is the thankless thing because what you, uh, I mean, th th there's different levels to it, but you know if you're going to somebody and saying, hey, we might have found some hinky stuff that is in your purview that you may or may not get the buzzsaw, you did it and you got it. <laughs> you got the buzzsaw because how long until Mike Lindell calls you back? Well, you know, I'm, I'm legitimately confused about what their website says. I mean, it, it just isn't clear what they do. So that was my question. Like, all right, are you selling your your information of, of people who buy my pillows or bed sheets or whatever you sell? And uh, it, it was less than two hours before I, I got a call back on my cell phone from a Minnesota phone number. And it, it took about two seconds to know that it was Mike Lindell himself who was calling. And he was not a happy my pillow guy at this point. So I immediately sat down and I hit the record button and he started screaming and he started shouting and he started yelling. And uh, he he accused me of probably, you know, everything you could accuse a person of doing under the sun before I could get in a word in edgewise. Uh, but you know, he he thought that this was just a, a hatchet job and another reporter out to get him. But it, it got uh, very quickly um, going in a different direction when I was able to explain to him. I said, well, well sir, and I'm paraphrasing myself here, uh, sir, you know, slow down for a second. Wait, wait a moment here. I, I need to read you something that appears on your own website. And, and yes. I want you to tell me w what's going on here, because I, I really genuinely don't understand if if you are selling or renting your customer's information or not, because based on what I'm looking at here, it, it seems like that may be happening. So can you tell me what's going on? And after I read it to him, he started freaking out, but in a very different way. And he started freaking out on his IT guy. And he started freaking well, out. And let, let, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Before, before, <laughs> before we get to that, because that, that's a whole nother act to this. There is this fascinating thing. And the reason why I would encourage people to listen to it is because what what you find out with with sources like this is that there is kind of this stages of grief to it where it initially comes in with him being hot as hell about who are you who are these sources i'm going to sue you if you don't give me the sources so it's like at first it is just all anger he is there to be upset about uh uh, uh the, this attack that is on him and and then you you demonstrate to him like oh no 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 no! this is regardless of where i got it this is what it says on your website and at that point it becomes this thing where he's like oh my god please help me 
I need you to tell my my own staff, which eventually becomes not only his IT guy, but also his former lawyer on the phone uh, because the IT guy said it was the former lawyer that demanded that they put that boilerplate on 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 the website. And and this is what I want you to to explain. Bring me into your mind as the, the, the former lawyer who I, I can only describe as being pulled away from dinner uh, uh, starts, uh, uh, you know, going on and on with, with, with a very irate Mike Lindell. And, and, and Mike Lindell has, in, in the process of this conversation, conferenced these people into our phone call. So I'm on this phone call. Mike Lindell is on this phone call. Because now Mike you're Lindell on a journey. You're on a journey. I, you are just I, I, there I'm for the ride. On, on a journey. And so what's going through my mind is I, I just need to keep everyone on the phone here. And I still haven't gotten answers to my questions. So let's keep everyone talking. And, and Mike, it was it was not hard to keep Mike Lindell talking about this. He was very upset, but he was then demanding answers from his former lawyer for my pillow, uh, who was very not pleased, let us say, to be on the phone with Mike Lindell and a reporter who was ostensibly reporting on what he was going to be saying. And at one point, he, he told Mike Lindell that this is a, not a good idea. This <laughs> is a bad idea. Calm down. And uh, so, you know, and, and Mike Lindell. And, I, and just, just, just to make clear, Mike Lindell waves off the advice. He's just like, sure, yeah, whatever. Okay, tell me what this means in front of this reporter right now. Like waving and, any and all, uh, 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 you know, attorney-client privilege. And to his, you know, to his credit or uh, or whatever you want to call it, he, he, he did exactly that. And very rarely will you ever have any source on the phone say, damn the torpedoes, tell this yep. reporter everything. And, and I'm not scared. And he said straight up, I have nothing to hide. And, and I have to note here, too, which is very important here. I don't have any evidence that Mike Lindell has done anything wrong. I haven't accused no. Mike Lindell of doing anything wrong. All I have to go with is what is on his own website, which uh, <laughs> was, again, to say for the ninth time here, incredibly unclear at best. So when we got effectively to the near the end of this conversation, uh, you know, Lindell acknowledged that they screwed up uh, by putting this on the website the way that they did. And, and he, he said uh, 101 times, I, I, I exaggerate slightly here, but he, he may have done it. Wasn't far off. Have, having, having listened to all 30 minutes of this, it was not far off. He was very, very clear that they do not sell any data. He certainly does not sell any data to any kind of political organizations. And that this, that the language on the website, just to be clear, you know, what they eventually find out is legal language saying that you could be hand your data could be handed off to like their credit card processors and stuff like that. Like their vendors that they use to do business. Which, which, you know, was once uh, the lawyer explained it and and they went through kind of the particulars of what this language all meant, that seemed to be a, a fairly plausible answer. <laughs> and yeah. nothing that I haven't seen before with uh, with many other companies, but it was it was written in such a kind of ham-handed fashion, at least initially, that uh, that if you were just some guy going to the the privacy statement part of the MyPillow website, you would leave likely with a very different impression on, on what that actually meant. And I, I don't think anyone could be blamed for believing that their data might be sold or their data might be rented or if, if you went and bought a MyPillow. So we got to the end of this conversation and it, it kind of ended uh, the way that it started with Mike Lindell again, <laughs> lobbing threats. And, and we did talk about Trump some. I had to ask him about that. Talked about voting some. And, and that's where that's to- where that's where you pushed it. You pushed it because at the very, very end, I, I was expecting because it, it starts off extraordinarily testy. And then it goes into this situation where Dave is the the inciting incident to saving the my pillow corporation as as mike lindell is uh, turning over hell or high water to make sure that that this language gets off the website and then as soon as you started asking about trump that's when everything turned back to i'm gonna sue you you're a hatchet man uh uh this is fake news why don't you have me on to talk about dominion well, I, I would be committing journalistic malpractice if I didn't ask Mike Lindell about Donald Trump. Uh, and, oh, you and had voting. to. You had to. You had to. Absolutely. Uh, 
And I would note as a coda that about two hours after, so we, we hung up the phone and about two hours after I went back to the MyPillow website and, and I noticed something, Justin. I, I noticed that the uh, whole privacy page and all the stuff that I was looking at about data selling and reselling and all of that uh, had suddenly changed. And at the top of that, there was a, a very big notice that in, in bold letters that in fact, MyPillow does not sell personal data of its customers, stuff that was not there two hours before. So clearly our conversation uh, had uh, had led to something happening internally at MyPillow that I suspect uh, got uh, more than a couple of people involved in, in changing the way that that looks and reads. And if you go there today, that's uh, that's what's there and has been there ever since. It's just amazing. Just so good. Just so good. I can't. Oh man, I, I was I was so so delighted uh, uh, to 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 listen to it. Uh, have you had a situation like that before, where where at least you got that kind of reaction on tape, or or is that unique? Well, Mike Mike Lindell is a fairly singular character, I suppose we he could is. say. So not too many corporate CEOs who are at the top of a uh, an organization such as that uh, that I would kind of get get in uh, to the detail and the, the the level of angst too that uh, that Mike Lindell did during this particular phone call and people can listen for themselves to, to make their own judgments on that uh, you know I've talked to Elon Musk before and he's a very colorful character and some other corporate CEOs who, who definitely have strong opinions about politics or about the the world around them but now I, I gotta say in 20 years of being a professional journalist uh, that this would this would be a, a conversation I the word unique is thrown around uh, far too with you know far too much of a cavalier type attitude, but uh, I, I think I can fairly say that this one was a, a unique conversation that I had, yes. How much of those kinds of conversations wind up being meditations about the media itself and, and not what you're asking about? Well, you know, I, I when I go to work every day, I, I want to give everyone a fair shake uh, and I yeah. want to get to the bottom of whatever story it is that I might be writing about it might be money in politics. It might be about some legal matter. It might be about a person or a colorful personality. But, you know, I didn't get into this to be uh, rooting for team blue or team red. I got into this to throw on a striped jersey on my back and, and be the referee. Now, not everyone likes a referee, but uh, it's the, the way I want to make a living. So when you get into a situation like that, uh, Mike Lindell obviously is going to have some very strong feelings that uh, he articulated about the press and about reporters and the media. Uh, but, you know, whatever it, it's he, everyone's entitled to their opinion and I'm going to do my job the the way that I, I know how to do it or the way I think I should be doing it, which is to give everyone a, a chance to respond. This, this kind of worked in, in as unconventional an interview as this was, it, it kind of actually worked out in a very conventional way, which is that I had a question. I wanted to yes. get answers. I, I ultimately got those answers, which were quite satisfactory answers in the end, despite all of the the, the hullabaloo, if you will, and, and, and wrote a story. It was a very different story than the one that I had sought to write or intended to write, but... <laughs> Uh, it, it was a story all the same that answered the questions that I sought to ask, but also too was able, I think, to illuminate the uh, the you know the state of mind and and the 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 feelings of a person who very much is in the news and uh, for lots of different reasons, uh, and most of them attached to Donald Trump, uh, who continues yeah. to be in the news for many many reasons. I think with Lendell, it wasn't much of a, a, an issue because he was kind of just on a monologue, right? Like he was, uh, uh, you know, he was like, oh, I'm going to sue you. But he didn't really like stop to say like, uh, do you understand I'm going to sue you? <laughs> or like, you know, like, why are you so biased or anything like that? He just kind of went on and on and on. But when, when you get that kind of pushback, uh, is it is it hard not to take the bait? Is it is it hard not to to get into explaining as you just did now that hey man I'm just the referee? Sometimes, but but honestly, you just got to catch yourself and, and say, all right, well, why am I here? Uh, what what am I trying to accomplish with this conversation? And and 
I, I, I will say it again. It was all about just trying to get answers to my questions. So Mike Lindell wanted to say lots of things about suing me or suing my company or suing my sources or getting upset about this or the other thing. You know, he's entitled to, to do that. That's that's no you know, skin off my back. Uh, so I just tried to continue to press the question in a respectful way and a polite way, but a firm way, and, uh, and and get to the bottom of what it is I was trying to get to the bottom too. And that's when things did take a very strange turn in the course of the conversation where he did realize that, oh, wait, actually, there, there's something else going on here. And it yeah. happens to be on my own website with my face on it and my name on it and my pillow on it. And and, and then he had to, uh, he, he took a very different tack almost immediately he went, to, yeah. to the whole conversation. He went a whole different direction. And that is a great, that's a free J school lesson to anybody who wants to get into the, the world of reporting. Always let them keep talking. No matter what, you might feel better if you want to defend the honor of, of, of the great profession of journalism or anything else. But the one thing that will help everybody is just making sure that they can say everything that they would like to say and, and without in, with, with minimal interruption. And yeah, you know, I can talk about this with you and, and we can have a great conversation. But in the moment of reporting, I, I'm not there to talk. I'm not there to no. I'm not there to be the star. I'm, I'm, I'm there to to listen. And so I, I think if you add it up, I haven't. I, I probably spoke for maybe a couple of minutes during that whole conversation. <laughs> it was not a lot. It was not a lot. No, you were you were pretty much there only to explain why you were on the phone. And then other than that, a a a, a full sitcom length television show just sort of unfolded uh, before your very ears. Uh, and look, that's why you're a, a, a great reporter. It's why you do great work there at, at, at Insider and, and everywhere else that you've worked. Uh, do you have anything uh, coming up that you are, are, are looking to push or anything new that we haven't talked about? We, we got, a, got a few very interesting things uh, coming up at uh, the Insider Bureau, which I should note, uh, self-indulgently, that there's now 13 of us in the D.C. Bureau here at Insider. So uh, we're year old as of this month. So we've gone from zero to 13 uh, very quickly. But... Uh, one of my, uh, I'll actually tout one of my colleagues, her name is uh, Tina Svandellas, and she's been doing awesome work about COVID vaccine uh, policy. And, and she's actually contacted every single governor in the United States to ask them about when they got their COVID vaccine, why they got it, uh, why they're delaying in some cases. We have Greg Gianforti, the, uh, the uh, governor of Montana, who just got COVID uh, right after oh. getting his vaccine. So really kind of underscored the issue of that this stuff doesn't work immediately and it takes some time. You, you don't get instant immunity when, when you get your shot. So uh, she's she's got a new piece uh, hitting right now that uh, is, is going to shed some new light on, on this whole issue and really get into sort of the, the very uh, touchy situation of governors wanting to lead and encourage people to get their vaccines and, and, and lead by doing and, uh, and showing people that it, it's okay and to also protect themselves, but not also appear as if they're jumping the line or skirting their own state's regulations. So it's a very sensitive issue we found out as we got into this reporting. And Tina's really done uh, one heck of a job. In, uh, in, yeah, because a lot, a lot of blue state. Yeah, blue state governors hadn't done it. Like Cuomo and Newsom hadn't hadn't done it the last I I checked for for that reason because they didn't want to seem like they were getting things impermissibly. Yeah, and Democrats, Republicans, they've all taken different approaches to this. And so your your kind of standard way of thinking about party orthodoxy or or, or whatnot really went out the window with uh, with this particular story with with Republicans and Democrats sometimes doing the same exact thing or for the same reasons or or not. And uh, yeah, that's the only way you write a story like that is to do the shoe leather reporting of going to every last yep. state house and every last governor's mansion and asking the same question over and over and over again. And that's exactly what Tina did. Well, I would encourage everybody to go read the great work at Insider's DC Bureau. And of course, we thank Dave Leventhal for his time. Thanks again, buddy. Hey, really appreciate it. And that'll wrap it up for us today. Thank you again to Dave Leventhal. And despite the fact that he is no stranger to you guys, I would like to suggest that if you enjoyed 
Dave on the show, you head on over to px3guest.com. That'll send you right to Dave's Twitter and uh, let him know. The reputation of this show matters. And it really, really matters in a sea of negativity that if you did enjoy this program because of Dave Leventhal, that he knows. One more thing before we get out of here. The uh, body of Capitol Hill police officer Billy Evans, who was killed last Friday in a vehicle attack on the Capitol, will lie in honor at the U.S. Capitol Rotunda beginning on April 13th. Uh, That according to House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer. Really, really, really uh, uh, crazy times there at the Capitol. I don't know if if the security around there will ever be the same again. If you'd like to email the show, it is theyoungamerican at gmail.com. Twitter is px3tweets. You can find our Twitch at px3live.com. You can get our newsletter once a week. And I feel like I'm doing some decent writing on there. It's not the the, the news digest that it used to be. It's a once a week, uh, a really thought out uh, thing. I talked about mobile online voting in response to some of the, the Georgia election questioning. I talked about uh, uh, COVID origins and and how we should deal with what may or may not be unproven rumor. I'm very happy with it. Hopefully, you guys can be too. That is at px3newsletter.com. And of course, you can share this podcast, px3podcast.com. If you'd like to support us with a one-time donation, you can do so at uh, paypal.me slash payjury. Our cash app is px3cash, and our Venmo is justin-young-20. We're going to hold off on the P.O. Box for now until we get a new one out here in Austin. But I always love it when people send me a dollar. A dollar on Venmo. I want to thank Nicholas. I want to thank Travis. I want to thank Liam, Nathan. Thanks, guys. Thanks for just sending me a dollar on Venmo. It's just, it's so... It's so funny to me. I don't know why it makes me so happy, but it just does. But if you want to be assured that your name is going to get read at the end of this show, the only place that you need to go is TakePoliticsSeriously.com. It is there that you could be at the $10 tier. Not only at the $10 tier do you get the $3 tier audio stuff. You get the exclusive PX3 extras. You also get your name read. At the end of the show, like this, Headphones Neil, Dr. G, the other half of Whiskey Wednesday, Idris, the Government Unfiltered Podcast, 100 Mile Runner, Berkeley Stephen, Kathy Mack, Zombie Doc, D, really? Methuselah, Honeythuckle, The Gen, Middle Age Mike, Cujo, Dot Com Junkie, Calamity Zap, D Laser, Lord Scale, De Quincey, and Neil the Third, and Gloria Young for King of the New World Order. Utah, Jimmy Montana, Appraisers are awesome. Snuffies, off route 44. Miranda Janelle, Jenny, Robert, Casey, Paul, the most conscientious nonpartisan listeners. Brad, Charles, Archie, David, Olin, and Angela, DL, Richard, just another pilot. Frozen Summers, Jay Pink, and Andrew. Again, you want to join their ranks? Only one way to do it, and that is to head on over to Take Politics Seriously. Dot com and that'll be it for us today. First, PX3 proper, PX3 prime in the new studio, and boy, am I on fire about it! I can't wait to do a million of these. Thank you, thank you for supporting me. We're back to our normal schedule. Live streams are coming back next week. I'm so pumped. Till next time, this is your old pal Justin Robert Young saying uh, some shows talk about politics, uh, others they talk about politics, and a few others they're talking about politics, but this, this is the only show that dares discuss how
Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs> Dog and Pony Show Audio.